0: Hello and welcome to the Pediatric Network. Today, we're going to be chatting with the author of a book that I just love, which is called The Unicorn Baby, and that is occupational therapist Roxanne Atkinson, all the way from Cape Town. So let me give you a little bit of background on uh, Roxanne. Uh, She holds an honors degree in occupational therapy from the University of Cape Town. She has a special interest in pediatrics and in neurodevelopmental therapy. She has completed both her basic and advanced Bobath training. Since graduating 2006, Roxanne has worked across the public and private sector at Milner Road Private Practice, uh, Vista Nova School for Children with Cerebral Palsy, Red Cross War Memorial Children's Hospital, and Victoria Hospital Weinberg. Roxanne opened her own private practice January 2015, working mostly with families with children aged 0-7 years of age who have developmental delay or trouble learning age appropriate skills. Her focus has been on early identification, education, and empowering caregivers and giving evidence-based intervention when necessary. Roxanne enjoys lecturing, consulting, and mentoring other students and therapists. Now, after discovering that uh, parents of both typical and atypical babies wanted more information regarding their baby's development, Roxanne started the How to Thrive workshops. Now these have been run in Cape Town and Johannesburg since 2016 as well as online and in 2018 to assist parents further she started running regular baby screening clinics alongside speech language pathologist Jenna Fisher and nursing sister Cindy Homewood to help parents with babies who've had a rough start. Roxanne consulted to Seely for seven years as their sleep expert, where she was tasked with translating sleep journal articles into easy-to-understand blog posts. This has led to great interest in cultural differences, sleep science, and sleep genes as they impact infant, toddler, and child sleep. Roxanne is the author of The Unicorn Baby, as we said in the beginning, debunking 10 myths of modern parenting. It really is Fantastic. is released by Jonathan Bull Publishers in South Africa February 2021 um, and was released by Icon Publishers in the UK in July 2021. So, this book offers parents unique insight into their baby's brain and biology, which just really worked for me, and assists them to replace unrealistic expectations with, of course, the evidence based realities of the actual situation. One of the myths that is thoroughly debunked. Is the idea that babies need to be taught to sleep through the night. Roxanne has featured on international blogs such as The Delivery, as well as local media in South Africa, Parent 24, uh, News 24, Die Groot tussen ons. There's some Afrikaans for me, and the pippa Hudson Show on Cape Talk, as well as Espresso on SABC3. And now we have her here on the Pediatric Network, please help me me welcome Roxanne Atkinson. Hello and welcome. Thank you everybody for coming back to the show. My name is Mike Marinas. I'm your host here for everything chiropractic and pediatric related. And today, I'm always happy when I get to speak to an author. Today, I get to speak with O.T. Roxy Atkinson. How are you doing?
1: Great, thanks. Glad to be here
0: good lovely to have you on here I got put onto your work the book that that uh, inspired me to get hold of you the unicorn baby through another chiropractor uh, who's who's done in Cape Town and she said you got to read this you got to check it out because I think it's just down your alley and it absolutely is um so just uh, give me an idea of what made you put together a book that you could um you know be able to explain to parents what's going on with babies
1: so i i kept coming across research i'm a bit of a nerd so i absolutely love journal articles and i love seeing how people um go go about their research and i found there was this massive gap between what we knew from research and what people were being told in the in the parenting realm So I thought, how can I take these really cool discoveries, but make them easy to understand for parents who have new babies and are not really tired and maybe don't want to read through a a journal article to kind of get the little golden nugget at the end. Mm -hmm. And so eventually over time, there was a lot of research on like dangling around my computer and I decided to put it into a workshop format and it was through doing the how to thrive workshops Mm. um that a friend who was based in the UK said to me can I have a recording of this and I sent it to her and she said to me Rox that's a book (laughs) you just need to (laughs) you need to put this in a book (laughs) we need this um and then yeah I was really fortunate to be able to have some some good mentors and and get published so it's been a it's been a good journey it's been a long journey um I probably was researching and a bit scared to put it out there for about five years so yeah, it was a, a good time of gathering information and, and thinking about how to give it to parents in the best way.
0: Wonderful. So I'll tell you what the thing that grabs me about this book is, and, and I have read my fair share of parenting books. I've read my fair share of... Uh, prescriptive stuff as well. And that's always the thing that I'm worried about. When I pick up a book, it's going to be someone telling me, this is how you do it. And this is how you're going to do it at 12 o'clock. And this is how you're going to do it at four o'clock. And the thing that always got has always gotten to me is the fact that, all babies are different. So how are you telling me that at 12, it's almost like reading like that tarot thing at the back of like an old, an old like 1980s magazine. It's like you'll find 20 cents under a bus. You're like, how? We're all different. How is this going to happen? And the thing is, when I picked up your book, it wasn't about, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is the idea I got. It's not about what you should do. It's about what is actually happening and then that opens up for everyone to go hey now I know what's actually going on with babies so now I can kind of make a decision that also opens it up for parents to be able to parent not to be a drone of what else is being told to them
1: yeah so often when you explain to parents what's happening biologically it's almost like you see this this shock and then it's it's shortly followed by guilt because their assumption of why their baby was doing a certain thing was based on misinformation. And now that they've got the biological reality, they kind of have choices to make. They can they can accept it, they can choose to go, you know, in this direction, which has been shown to help this kind of aid, or they could go in this direction, which you know could help um in that way. But it's just it's really sad to me, the, the, the guilt and then the, the fear or the anxiety around failing and implementing a prescriptive program, which was never your baby's program to start with, you know? So yes, I think it, my hope was to give parents a great sigh of relief by the end of each um, chapter um, and for them to feel empowered and be like, actually, I know what's going on here. And I am the best person. I always say to my, my patients, parents, you have the most data about your child. You have the most mm. data about your baby. Use that data Use your curiosity and experiment. And you know what? If you fail, it doesn't matter. Then you know that that doesn't work. But you don't have to fear going off that prescriptive path.
0: Exactly right. I think that was the thing for me. I spend the vast majority of my day explaining to parents what's normal. What's normal, what's not normal. And the thing is that they're always a little confused as to those because the information that's given out, like the information that's given out in buckets to people, just because it comes in buckets doesn't make it right. It just means that it's coming at you a lot all the time. Um, I mean, I can you can pick out so many things. Like what, one of the things that uh, is a little bugbear of mine is you get parents coming in and going, um, you know, I'm waiting for him to sleep through the night. First of all is watch through the night. You know, we understand that. But the second piece is going... I understand that that's a Western cultural thing, and it becomes like a goalpost that we're moving to That get them to sleep through the night as fast as they can, but to drag you back into the biology of the situation, there's no benefit to your child to to get that to happen, and it's to kind of unpack that, and then they go, oh, because now you start to realize.
1: And it's so counterculture, that idea, because so many parents will say to me, but if my child's not sleeping through the night, then they are at risk of behavioural problems and scholastic mm. problems. They're never going to get married, you know. Like they just,
0: are always like, going to be
1: like, yeah. the worst person ever, and <laughs> we are not going to sleep, and our marriage is going to fall apart, and they'll have divorced parents. And, You know, it just like gets really out of hand really quickly. Mm. But it does take it does take time to to unlearn. I often say to parents, that, you know, I'm going to tell you something that's going to going to make you and learn something that's been important to you, or what you thought was the goal. So I talk a lot to parents also about the fact that just because something is good for you, doesn't mean that focusing on that thing is going to make it any more likely. So just because sleeping through the night is good for parents yeah. um, and they would like it sometimes by focusing on that thing for their baby, they actually cause more dysfunction because they do certain things that are just so unhelpful for yeah. sleep, like creating this anxiety around it. And, um, you know, I obviously see the more extreme cases, but I'll see kids who are now like refusing to go into their cot. You know, they spider manning mm. on the side of their cot, <laughs> will not go down or <sighs> vomiting at night. Um, you know, as it's getting darker, starting to like these kids are really having like a huge, you know, sleep anxiety. And I say to parents, obviously, the goal with sleep is to have a positive relationship with sleep. Mm. Um, it's to love sleep. It's to look forward to to going to bed. Um, and I always, at the beginning of my sessions, because parents, like, they, they want to impress me with all the things they've tried for sleep. Um, and I say to them, like, I don't actually have a preference, like, between cot and mattress and your bed, and I don't have a preference, because I'm not in your house at night. Like, you are Mm. the only ones that are there, and you know if it's working or not. Like, I have my ideas, but, you know, you must give your, your ideas a go and see what happens, and it was really interesting listening to Pamela Douglas, and one of her, her talks that I'm busy with and um, she was saying how research now shows that if you educate adults about how important something is like breastfeeding or tummy time or sleep, it actually makes the chance of the child achieving those things less because by parents being so focused on how good this thing is for their child, yeah. they kind of mix it up because they, they get in their own way. Yeah. Um, and I thought, yeah, this is why like, we can't just tell parents sleep is good. We need to actually tell them like, this is what normal sleep looks like. This mm-hmm. is the, the benefit of waking up at night, you know? And I think one of the situations that I see that makes me really angry is parents who have brought in a sleep trainer, usually around like the four month mark, which mm-hmm. is often when the baby's needing the most milk because they haven't yet started solids and they're bigger and they're rolling. Mm-hmm. And then that person will limit the feed, say no night feeds. And then mom stops breastfeeding even you know she's like gone through this whole journey to get to this point where it was all working out, and mm-hmm. um, because now she's not getting enough stimulation because there's no feed at night anymore, and I often never know if I should even put that puzzle piece in place for the parents when they tell me their story. And um, sometimes if they're saying we're wanting to get breastfeeding going again, and um, I'll explain to them that you know you actually need to have more time on the breast then for that yeah. that to happen, and that's often like a aha moment where suddenly mm-hmm. they're like. I can, I can use feeds to help me and them and sleep. Yeah. What? Like, <laughs> and my heart just breaks because I've kind of had this period of time where they lost out on some joy, which, you know, you like, there's not, there are a lot of things that are very joyful about being a parent, but there's yeah. a lot that that isn't. And so I just <laughs> feel like whatever joy you can kind of grab onto in that, that first year, which is such a difficult year for everyone. I'm like, get a girl, go like, go get your joy. <laughs> Don't let anyone take that from you. <laughs>
0: I love that. It's so important. It's so important to see it that way. Because that's the thing. It's not, it's not all about judging. And it. it's not all about, this is right, that's wrong. It's about going, this is what it is. And inside there, there are going to be things that are tough. And I think we have to acknowledge some of those things. Yeah. Like in the book, you acknowledge the fact that, you know, you're not getting your body back, you, you are literally building a new body. You know, and your 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 social life is going to change because that's how it's designed to be. And at the end of the day, that's what it is. But then the flip side of that is all this quiet time with each other and this oxytocin production with each other and having these things. And I think it's exactly you've actually you've actually kind of crystallized it for me now. It's it's being able to bring out those high points um, and be able to to almost focus on things that are going to be helpful instead of going sleep. Sleep not working, go like, hey, inside there, there are these like nuggets of time that you can really get and you can only get them now and just go and enjoy them.
1: Yeah, completely. And I think, you know, even with things like how how I warn parents is if anything is like really simple in terms of someone will say to you, like, oh, um, is your baby doing 20 minutes of tummy time a day? Oh, they're not. Oh, well, you know what that means. You know, that, that means your baby's not going to crawl. And if they don't crawl, they're not going to be able to write properly at school. And if they can't write properly at school, they're failing. And if they fail school, what job are they? You know, and I think whenever you get into one of those cycles oh. where it's it's almost like that snowball, that's where I always want to say to friends, like, whoa, 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 okay, let's slow down. Let's just look at this from a historical point of view too. Because that I also really enjoyed with this book is going like, who said we must feed every four hours? Yes. When did that start? I love that. And then going back oh, yeah. and being like, is that how that started? Are you kidding mm. me? It was like, you know, a hospital manager back in like the 1900s was like, mm-hmm. okay, we've got nurses and they have 12-hour shifts and like, how can we make this work so that, you know, there's we, there's no ways we can respond to every patient when, they, when they're hungry. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to feed everyone at this at set this interval. Um, and then somehow that, which is, if you think about it like a hospital environment multiple babies what worked there now gets spread across the world it, it it's just it's actually quite amazing how how the yeah. misinformation spreads. so yeah I think I I also I have like an interest in like looking forward and just thinking you know how, how what is what is our population going to look like if we keep missing these cues? Like if we keep withholding touch and we keep withholding feeds and we keep withholding attention and we keep withholding eye contact. I got a such mm. a funny video from a mum who yeah. was told she must have look at her baby at night. Ah, I just told her, look, it's very difficult to feed a baby and not look at them. Um yeah. how do you know what's going on? But
0: exactly, yeah, Isn't I just weird. And and I had this, I had this conversation with with with, with Dr. Douglas as well, where we dehumanize babies to the point that they are like completely robotic. And the thing that I always like doing is is, uh, is giving the, the month and year test. So you go like, if you have a six-week-old, that's fine. And you want to not look at them. That's fine. But then would it work for a six-month-old? And would that work for your six-year-old? And would it work for your 60-year-old? You know, yeah. if, if, if like your husband comes home and you go... Well, I'm not looking at you, because <laughs> if I do, then you're going to expect me to look at you next time. And and the thing is, if you can pull it into that space, you yes. start to go, it's ridiculous that we're it's doing crazy. this. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. I'll tell you another thing that I really, and, and one of the things that just made the book all the worthwhile for me, because it also just took an idea that i had had and it really put it together. for me. You talked about, right at the beginning, you talked about the central lie that's out there. The central lie being that if they don't comply with what Western caregiving looks like, you've got two alternatives. Either the baby has a diagnosis, or you didn't say that either the baby has the problem, or the parent has the problem. And I love how it's it's the Western caregiving is unmovable. It just arrived. It literally just arrived. <laughs> and like, look, of like 1% of human history, but that is immovable because, and then if you start to, because your book started making me think like, so now if I start to tear these pieces apart, the reason that Western caregiving is there is convenience. And it's not convenience for baby, it's convenience for us. But it's convenience for the wider population. It's not even convenient for the, for the parents, the one that's in the middle of it. But it's this this sort of generalized convenience that we do the things we do because then, you know, and if your baby's not doing that oh then your baby's going to get uh, you know some sort of diagnosis or there's some sort of problem because they're not living up to this thing and it's this thing that needs to be chipped away at
1: yeah and i think that more parents have access to these realities i almost feel like it's baby empowerment like we're going to you know we've had mm. women empowerment still on the go but going to the next step is going to be baby empowerment which yeah. says like actually these babies need responsive carers. So how do we give them that? Well, that's you know, that's not such good news to you know, a big creche or to, you know, to a society that's maybe relying on um, two parents that are doing 12 hour shifts a day because it's an yeah. industrialized sector. And I think what's exciting about the time that we are now is that a lot of jobs actually require us to be individuals. And um, We're no longer sitting in, you know, factories or lots and lots of cubicles. We're not mm-hmm. repeating one process over and over again. We are called to take in a lot of information and then be responsive and make the best decision within mm-hmm. that situation. And so my hope is that parents, you know, it's, it's actually the first thing I ask parents to do in the book is, what is your value system? What do you imagine your family being like in 20 years time? Because if you have kind of re- gotten to a point where you maybe have five words, which are your values, it makes making the decisions a lot easier mm-hmm. um, and it helps you to understand, you know, how much do you value independence versus interdependence? Um, how much do you value people versus stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, I hope that it becomes easier for people to make decisions, but I do think a lot of people are going to be, you know, um, upset and for good reason. Um, and I think that a lot of people will maybe make different choices for, for their children. Um, and, and, like you said that test i love that test the the weeks months years test because if you think about that with with the child in terms of like cued caregiving and teaching in schools you wouldn't say you know i'm happy that my my kids teacher when they are eight years old ignores them for an hour a day <laughs> um
0: you look know, at or, the lessons i'm teaching them you know
1: or like they can't go to the toilet um yeah you know the only lots to go to the toilet at 10 and 2 and when they came home with a bladder infection you'd be absolutely horrified yeah. but um yeah so i think on the one hand we're trying to empower children to say you know listen to your body stop eating when you're full go to the toilet when you need it um you know regulate yourself go and get a hug or, or go for mm. a movement break but that freedom hasn't gotten to babies yet babies sorry you need to <laughs> yeah you need to follow this program. That, yeah. that that is it um and,
0: and, and how crazy is that you just made me think of that now because when, whenever i kind of get that picture in my mind of like the 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 most modern workplace i always think of google you know and what that looks like and I will get to sit in the pods and stuff and i kind of have just made the connection now i going, God, that looks like an amazing like play place that looks like an amazing <laughs> place the baby should be in. this is exactly what they should be getting that same kind of support that same kind of like open play you know, not regulated play, and those same amounts of like, things to discover and go and do without having it must be this, you must be that. and, and just yeah, it's 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 absolutely that. It's absolutely that. Yeah. Well, wow. I
1: think another like bugbear I have as well is this idea of you know giving babies very specific things like products, like yeah. you know whether it's a caglet or a dummy or blanket or whatever. And that it's okay if they use those things to soothe and go to sleep, but it's not okay if they use a person. So it's not okay if they're holding mom's hand or, you know, they're needing mom to sing to them or, you know, they like to play with dad's beard. Like that is not okay because that is dependence. Mm -hmm. But yet in life, like if people are dependent on things, you know, you're dependent on your cigarettes or you're dependent on that's seen as a terrible thing. Like, we like, no, rather go speak to someone. You know, go go get it off your chest. Go get closer. You know, vulnerability. These are all things yeah. that we see as positive traits. Um, And yet, yeah, for our babies, we're saying, no, no, here's a here's a thing.
0: <laughs> Make yeah. sure
1: that this thing meets your needs. Um, and don't bother anyone. You know, <laughs> don't, don't say anything. Um, and then later, so when they're sitting in the corner
0: back. drinking a beer, you're like, I don't understand how this happened.
1: Yeah, how? how- we get to this point i don't know um so i I often joke with my kids that when they want to get married one day i'm gonna check in with their beloved's parents and be like did you feed them when they were hungry and like did you smuggle them when they were sad like i I, what's going on inside their brain because it's the genetics is so interesting now of how caregiving changes our genes and not just our genes but for for the woman you know the the eggs that you're carrying, those eggs will go forth and, and parent in a similar way to their grandmother. So that, I mean, that research just blew my mind. And it also actually made me quite hopeful that, you know, if we did get a little bit um, too modern, or if we have tried things that haven't worked, it's okay, we've kind of got this protective genetic history coming, <laughs> coming behind us. Um, but I do, I really want to make sure that um, babies and, and toddlers, are having the best chance to be understood and to be um, really enjoyed um, and not mis misinterpreted yeah. um, by their parents. Yeah.
0: Most important. Most important. I want to talk about the title of the book, uh, <laughs> "The Unicorn Baby," because I feel that one of the things in and, and just just sort of put into the the unicorn baby is the baby that that just follows our, our, our Western caregiving to a It never cries, it never has to interact with anything. It just like spiritually knows things and it never <laughs> has to worry you. And, and it sleeps when the book says it will sleep and they eat when the book says they'll eat and they carry on. And, and the one the one quote I love from you is that they peep pure gold and they peep rainbows. <laughs> I really like I, that. I, I, and, I, I, and, 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 and kind of how you use that baby initially and then you kind of juxtaposition what Biology actually says compared to what this cultural—it's almost a cultural icon, isn't it? This because this is. I like that—a cultural
1: icon. Yes. So, I had my my babies first. I'm the younger sister, and then when my sister had her firstborn, she definitely wasn't a unicorn. She was born, um, overdue, so she (laughs) she wouldn't get out of there, and I noticed that she had a very severe strabismus right away. Um, And so vision drives so much, as you know. So she wasn't following the trajectory um, of the unicorn baby. And my sister um, is quite a successful person in advertising. She follows quite a strict routine herself in terms of, you know, exercise and diet and sleep. And so she gravitated, I think, initially towards the more prescriptive people. I think she thought, no, my sister she's in Cape town, too airy fairy. What's this You know, responsive caregiving nonsense. Yeah. And then it didn't work. Um, shame. She really got so many experts in to help her to kind of get Aaron to sleep, to get Aaron to feed, to get Aaron to move. And it just didn't click for Aaron. And I said on the phone the one night I said, look, I'd hate to be the one to tell you this, but you didn't get the unicorn baby. Mm. <laughs> so the unicorn baby hacks are not going to work for you.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> And she kind of held on to that. So she would then like text me if it was a particularly challenging day or night and just be like, "Um, my non-unicorn is doing this. Like, what should I do? Or my (laughs) non-unicorn, you know? Um, And then her second child was a unicorn briefly. Mm. Um, But thankfully he came second because she could recognize that, okay, you know, he's in this very sort of set routine at the moment, um, but he actually had a really large head. And so for him movement was was not easy and so he then went on a different journey too in terms of his gross motor and I think if it hadn't been for my sister having that experience we probably wouldn't be as close as we are because I think yeah it would be quite challenging for me to know Mm -hmm. that um she hadn't She hadn't been able to, I guess, be be humbled and to get to a place where you don't judge because I think that's the other side of the coin is if you've had the unicorn baby and I get long letters from parents, Mm -hmm. we do have the unicorn baby and there's nothing wrong with it. And I say to them, yes, you are are fortunate in inverted commas that you've Mm. had a a baby that fits into the Western cultural norms. I said, but hold on to your hat because this baby's Mm. growing up. And once this baby knows themselves better and has preferences and has opportunity to choose, your unicorn is going to be gone. So um, this is
0: my story. That is exactly my story. So my <laughs> daughter arrived weirdly five weeks early and all sorts of, yeah, all sorts. I- <laughs> and then she arrived and honest to goodness, if she did not have a copy of baby sense, and a copy of this and a copy of that underneath her pillow, she did everything exactly when she was supposed to. And that messed me up because I was working with kids at the time. And then I was like, you know what? It's obviously me. And I'm I've,
1: amazing. You can't
0: get help, you know, and let me just be in your presence and I'll help you. And for two years, I walked around like an idiot. And then my son arrived. And I was like, so, what is going on? Because I, if anything, I should be better. Was so-
1: well, son premature.
0: No, no. Okay. Seems-
1: so I have this. I have yeah. this observation where I feel like if you have a premature infant, they're almost too little, and their nervous system is too immature for them to to cue. And so mm-hmm. I feel like they get shaped by that NICU environment, which is can be a huge blessing for the parents because when you take them from that environment home, they do they they stick to mm. it, which is wonderful. But like you say. There does come a point where yeah. suddenly you know that subplate goes away and everything mm-hmm. is more active and more um, I guess like internally driven rather than externally dictated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I often find it's the parents who also will have like really big full term babies that that struggle a lot because those mm-hmm. babies are they're coming out they got energy yeah they're ready to go yeah, um, and they yeah. sort of miss that sleepy phase um, which. It's, it the, can be like a
0: gift. Just, you're on it, though. You're on it, exactly. I mean, I remember, we actually just talked to you about this. Uh, we were at Friends of ours, and I think Megan Wells I oh, think it was about five, four months, somewhere around there. And we were just sitting in the lounge, hanging out. And then our friend said, is that your baby crying? And she honestly never cried to the point that we were like, I don't know. And, I mean, it's imprinted. Crying's imprinted on your brain. I mean, I can tell my son from a 1,000 yards, you know. Okay. But with her, I was like, is that, is it really? And then we went there. So absolutely, she just was, she couldn't cue. She was, I mean, we were just in it. We were doing everything with it. But you're absolutely right. She's 15 now.
1: (laughs) Can she cue now?
0: (laughs) She cues quite well. (laughs) She cues very well, in fact. (laughs) No, but it's so interesting. Yeah,
1: that's so important. so important that, that idea of like the here and now, the season you're in, and the fact that, I think one of the things that I'm also chasing down at the moment is this myth of temperament. Um, and I'm finding some really interesting research around it. But the idea that temperament is also seasonal. So you could be a very easygoing baby and something happens to you. Um, maybe you are in a particularly like challenging peer relationship. There's someone at school that you know, just kind of comes for you every day. And your temperament will change. You might become a bit more aggressive, or you might become a little bit more withdrawn. Um, And then again, you know, the environment changes, you develop new skills, and maybe you become actually like a very difficult five-year-old or a difficult teenager. So I think it's so important not to give parents the false information that how it is now is how it's going to be forever. You know, if you're sleeping through the night at five weeks, you're going to be sleeping through at five months, you're going to be sleeping through at five years. It just doesn't it just doesn't work like that um which is actually a wonderful thing because it makes parenting this kind of you know very curious space to be in it's quite fun mm. seeing what what happens and, and kind of what the new um each year and each stage would have brings
0: mm. very very much so wow. and that's it we're all i mean we're all shaped like that uh, and and that's the thing again is to d de- Robotize them and and uh, rehumanize them a little. And go yeah. when, when I yeah. have a traumatic experience, I respond to things very differently. Um, yeah. yeah, and and who's to say that they they can't have that? And they can't have that change of response. And in fact, that's what shapes them going forward. So they may have their genetics as one thing, but then depending yeah. on what they're exposed to and how they're exposed to it, those things will change
1: completely. Um. I think the other pursuit of Western culture is, like you said, convenience, and then the other is the super baby, the unicorn baby, the baby who's better than everybody else. Um, and I share a case story about this in, in the book, but I often have parents coming in where I assess their kids develop mentally, especially sort of our high risk kids, like our, you know, very prim kids or our, our kids that have been very floppy at birth. And often I'm so relieved because they they test within typical limits. So between the 25th and the 75th percentile on the graph. And then their parents will be like, what can we do to get them mm-hmm. above the 75th yes. percentile? Yes, exactly. <laughs> They're like, we want 90. And I'm like, you don't want 90. I was explaining to you, a parent the other day that it's really, like life is really hard if you're below the 25th or if you're above mm-hmm. the 75th. Like life's designed, society's designed for you being kind of, average and yeah. once you, you know below or above. But I think there there is that idea that you know, like if I can get my baby to sleep through the night, if I can get my baby to eat every four hours, if I can get my baby to do tummy time, they are going to be better than all the other babies whose parents couldn't get them to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think the sadness there is it's actually almost flipped on its head because I feel like it's the the attachment and the connection and the responsiveness and the the co-learning. Mm-hmm. through failure so often when things don't work then it's actually going to you know what I mean bring those yep. those people together and, and actually be like parenting success if you can have yeah. such a thing um, that's the thing you
0: know I generally talk about this sort of like you, you, you don't get the Hollywood movie where the kind of the guy meets the girl, they get into the car and they drive off. Like, that movie sucks. No one's going to go and see that movie. What you want is where this gets wrong and they misunderstand each other and then this one falls out and then this and that and after an hour they've understood and there's been this whole rip and repair going on yeah. and that's where you get this relationship building from and it's almost to try and reframe that, rephrase that for them and go, you know, it's such a, it's such a cool thing that you get to do.
1: It is and I just hope that if people are listening to this and they're like, Oh my gosh, you know, for three years, I was totally disconnected. I was, had the child on the fridge and I just didn't respond, didn't make eye contact for them. I'd like to say like, it's not too late. Um, cool. You know, that, that beautiful research I mentioned in the book, which shows that if you touch and care for another human being, you get the same changes as mums do when they are nursing their babies. And when I read that, I felt so hopeful for all of the kids in our country who you know, our foster kids or who yes. have been adopted for people who maybe, you know, you, you, yourself, you had severe postnatal depression or you, you couldn't be emotionally available in those early years. Like it's not too late. Like you can, you can do it now. And I think um, that's really the beauty of the human brain too, is that it is so adaptable that we not, we don't get stuck, you know, you're not 25 and that's it. Um, no more learning for you. Um, and so I sometimes have have parents who will reach out and say, you know, I'm having trouble connecting with my four-year-old we have never really gotten on, or we've never really had anything. And I see it as my homework there to find a way for them to connect. Um, oops, sorry. So, so, yeah, that would be my encouragement to any parents that are kind of listening in and thinking, oh, damn, I went for the whole prescriptive route and now I'm not as connected as I'd like to be. Try some skin on skin, you know, obviously in an age-appropriate way, whether it's, you know, Throwing your child around in the swimming pool or, you know, wrestling in the lounge or, you know, being able to go ice skating together and you're holding hands and falling down on the ice and really any kind of like um, positive interaction that includes physical touch, I think is going to be really, really helpful to you.
0: Uh, I think that's such a nice that's such a nice way to bring it around full circle that there's 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 always time and there's never it's never a situation of it's been done and it's now done whatever way you know there's always a way to jump in there and I think that's sort of our job I always see that our job as 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 healthcare providers is to be able to give as much efficacy to the parents as possible. And it's that kind of wording. It's that kind of thing. Because I cannot tell you the amount of parents that I get to come through here that have seen a healthcare provider, that 99% of what they were told is what they've done wrong. And then they have nothing to fix it. And I always think to myself, I wonder if that's a lack of understanding on the part of the provider that they didn't know what to say. So they kind of just backed into the corner of going, well, I can't, you know, you've done it wrong, so now it can't be helped. And you just think there's so much research out there. There's so much... Evidence about things that you can do at home and kind of pass the ball back. Because the thing is, again, it's the same as if I teach you something, that's fine. But if you learn it yourself, like it's forever, you know, and it's that yeah. that thing of going home and learning it together and building together.
1: I had an interesting interaction with a pediatrician who's just had her first baby and she went off for her first weigh-in check.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the nurse, before, before she'd even looked at the road to health chart and seen the weight curve, she said to her, um, how often are you feeding? And she said, every sort of one and a half to two hours. And she said, no, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. something's wrong here. Something's terribly wrong. And then gave her like a 40 minute lecture on scheduled feeding and spacing feeds and all of this, and then opened the road to health card as she was leaving to write in her advice and saw that this baby was like just on his curve. And so then the pediatrician said to her, I mean, like, thankfully, she's a pediatrician. She said, don't you think that if I feed this often, he's going to grow even less? Like, mm. and then she was like, oh, oh yes, Um, for babies like this, we actually recommend more regular feeds. than you." And she, she sent me a voice note after this, but she said like, oh, my gosh, why do we as health professionals feel like we need to tell people what to do when we have yet to even really assess the situation and know what's mm. actually going on? Um, And so that's something I always tell people to look out for in a health provider. Do they listen to you? Are they actually interested in your, Mm. you know, side of the story? Or are they kind of just telling the same thing to anyone who who arrives?
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that that Pamela Douglas really had on point with me. Uh, And she kind of pulled me up about it a little as well, where she said, the thing is, we, in terms of healthcare, we have no leg to stand on to 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 judge other people until we get our act together. And if our act together on some is not there on something like breastfeeding, how 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 are you out there judging? You know, yeah. help, but help is harder than judging. Judging's a whole lot easier because helping yeah. <laughs> requires a whole lot of understanding and and and, and you know time and, and effort. And yeah,
1: and it's I think also being humble to admit that you're not always going to be able to help. So I have I have patients who laugh at me, but I'll um I'll say to them, look, I'm gonna commit to six sessions with you, but I don't know if I'm the right person right now. Yeah. Um, but after six sessions, we'll have a better idea. Um and usually at the end of the six sessions, they'll say to me, they're like, How can you say that? That's such a bad business model, <laughs> you know. You should be like, I got you. And I'll say, No, because this is a journey, and you know, we're going on this journey together, and sometimes three or four sessions in, I suddenly realized that what I thought needed to happen is not yeah. what, what needs to happen at all. Okay. And then we need to, you know, we need to change direction. Um. But yeah, I think that, like you say, it's it's through those experiences, like with your son or with patients that don't respond, you know, mm-hmm. in the way you expect them to, that you learn the most. Um, and that I think you actually be, become able to, to help. Even if help is saying to somebody, you're doing everything the best you can for this baby and it is going to be this hard for you know a few more months or a few more weeks okay. um I actually I remember the one pediatrician told me with my was my daughter she said look you're gonna have a terrible first year so best you like rally rally your troops because you're not going to be able to do this alone and I remember leaving being like I'm gonna show her I'm gonna have this baby <laughs> unicorning like <laughs> Like no one's business. I am a pediatric OT. I've been doing this for years. Like, um, and it's only now, you know, a decade later, that I can actually be like, yeah, thank, you, you know, that was actually yeah. what I needed. I needed to know that this was going to be trickier for me than mm-hmm. I had thought. Um, yeah. and that there's nothing wrong with with getting that support in.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Roxy Atkinson, thank you so much for spending your time with us here. I think it's been, it's, it's, I always am just over the moon when I get to speak to someone that's in the same realm and someone that's, you know, actually put their thoughts down into, into a book and that's out there. And uh, I'm going to link the, the, the book below and wherever it is, you're watching this, get a hold of it. I loved it. Um eternally grateful for Chantal for putting me onto it. Um, anything that you'd like to sort of end with anything you'd like to just sort of wrap, wrap up.
1: Um, I think, no, I think that this has been such a lovely opportunity. Thank you for having me. And I hope that this kind of sparks some more conversations um, and some more curiosity, um, both in the health professionals um, who you train and then also the parents who who follow you. Thanks,
0: Mike. Wonderful. Thank you so much for hanging out. It's been great.